about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. This morning we're going to be reading for you uh, from John 11, 17 to 44. Jesus comforts the, city, the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell on her feet. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there was a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he has said, there, said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with stri strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him be, let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for that wonderful reading that we've just heard of resurrection and new life. And we pray, Lord, you'll open our eyes to understand this and, the, and what this means for us and the promise that we find in these verses. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, living in, in a, cemetery, a cemetery like we do here can be very interesting uh, just ask Andrew living in the rectory or Fergus living in the cottage and they'll keep you amused with their stories for some time. Uh, I've got a co compendium of stories from my time when I lived in the rectory. One morning, someone came to me and said, there's a dead body in the grave, in a grave. I said, well, of course, graves have dead bodies. And they said, no, 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 actually, there's a dead body that you can see in a grave. You know, that grave where the, the, the lid is a bit lifted up and you can look inside. So I thought, okay, so we went to have a look. And so we went to the grave, we looked at the grave, we're peering inside, waiting for our eyes to adjust to the dark, and suddenly, yes, we could see the shape of a body. So I rang the police. Now, normally, one or two hours, and finally, one police car will turn up with two officers. Not this day, every policeman in Newtown turned up. Even the paddy wagon was there. I said to one, one policeman, why? A dead body in a grave, mate, we're not going to miss out on this. <laughs> so we all jockeyed for position around the grave and uh, we're all looking inside and suddenly, very slowly, the body moved. And the policewoman, very brave one, she squeezed into the grave, went down, had a look inside and was able to report that the woman was alive, but very, very drunk. Now, that was the closest we've had to a resurrection in this cemetery. <laughs> and what a stir did it cause. But that's nothing compared to what we've just read in John's Gospel. We've just read a story where Jesus commanded a dead man to come to life and Lazarus 
walked out of the tomb alive. What should we make of that? Well, let's have a look at the story. Now, the miracle, this miracle of new life, happens in the context of Jesus' impending death. At the end of chapter 10, after Jesus gave the blind man sight, the religious leaders pick up stones to stone him, not for the first time. At the end of the story, the highest body in the land, the Sanhedrin, met and decided to kill him. In the next chapter, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, heading to certain death. But in the midst of death, this story declares a marvellous truth, the most marvellous truth a person could ever hear, a truth that answers our greatest fears, that in the midst of death, actually through his death, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus received news from Martha and Mary that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. We're told that Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus. They sent the message to Jesus so that Jesus could come quickly and heal him. But Jesus has a much bigger plan that neither they nor the disciples can see. This is in the verses we didn't read, but if you have a Bible open in front of you or on your phone, you can read these verses. They're the, the, the first verses in John 11. Jesus waits for two days before he heads off on the journey back to Jerusalem or back to Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He delays intentionally so that by the time he gets there, Lazarus will be dead. Jesus knows what he's going to do and even tells his disciples. So in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Why does Jesus delay? He could have arrived before Lazarus died. But Jesus delayed because he's going to do something so definitive, so powerful, something divine, so that his followers may believe. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now the disciples are terrified. They plead with him, don't go back to Jerusalem. They just picked up stones to kill you. But Jesus won't be deterred from his father's work. So they throw up their hands in resignation. Let us also go and die with him. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Martha ran out to meet him. Where were you, Jesus, when we needed you? That's her complaint we see in verse 21 here. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Well, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of, on the last day. Now Martha has a distant hope. It's, it's not a concrete hope, not, not, not a tangible hope. One day in the distance, at the end of time, we will meet again. And I, I hear people say that sort of thing about someone who's died, we'll meet again one day. But then Jesus answered her with words 
that have echoed down through the centuries, perhaps the greatest words ever spoken, concrete words that speak into the very moment of death, words that bring certainty when there's only despair, words that need to be heard again and again, words that are triumphant and need to be heard loudly. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha does. Her response is great. She is a model to us of what it looks like to believe. She doesn't say, oh yeah, I believe in eternal life, I believe in the resurrection. She doesn't even mention resurrection. She says, I believe in you. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She believes in him, and those who believe in him will live. Do you believe this? For the person who believes in Jesus, death is not the end. For the person who believes in Jesus, even though they will die physically, death is a gateway to life. Death is the pathway to eternal life. What a promise to offer at a graveside. Grieve, yes, your brother is, has died. But do not grieve as people without hope. The person who believes in Jesus will live. What a promise. What a hope. I love this quote from D.L. Moody some years ago. He wrote this. Someday you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit shall live forever. I will be more alive than ever. You know, Jesus brings more than physical resurrection to us when we die. He brings something new, something vital. He gives us life. He is the resurrection and the life. Of course your body will grow, die, will grow old and die. But the moment you put your faith in Christ, the moment you believe you were raised to new life, a new spiritual life, a life that is eternal. As a nine-year-old who turned to Christ, that night I was reborn to eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus will never die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Do you believe this? When Jesus finally meets Mary in verse 32, she's accompanied by a crowd of mourners. In verse 32, Mary echoes Martha's complaint. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. No, there's no indication that Mary thinks Jesus might raise Lazarus from the dead. There's no expectation, just 
grief. She's weeping. And those around her are weeping with her. It is a scene too familiar to us. A scene of immense grief. They've lost hope. Death has won. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and those who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. Is that your picture of Jesus? It may surprise you to see that Jesus wept, knowing what he was going to do. I mean, we may think that Jesus, as Lord, is somehow impervious to feeling such human emotions. Why, why does Jesus weep? Like it may be the shortest verse in the Bible, but it tells us a lot about Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is weeping for Lazarus, for he knows that Lazarus will rise from the dead. But he is overcome with sorrow and outrage at the awful reality that surrounds him of death and the suffering that death brings for others. Death is an evil intrusion into God's creation. This is sin at its worst, at, at its cruelest. He weeps for them. He weeps with them. I think Jesus is actually more human than any of us. Jesus just doesn't sympathize with them in their pain and grief. Oh, this must be hard for you. Jesus is overcome with sorrow and outraged by the pain of death. Jesus, he weeps. Jesus, take, look friends, take heart because Jesus feels your pain. He weeps with those who weep. And he feels the outrage that this is not the way things should be. But friends, Jesus is also the answer. He is the resurrection and the life. In verse 38, Jesus reaches the tomb. Take the stone away. He gives no indication what he's about to do. So they say, but Lord, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been dead for four days. Then Jesus responds, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they rolled away the stone and Jesus prayed. He didn't need to pray, but he prayed out aloud to the Father for their benefit so that they might hear and believe that Jesus was truly sent by the Father. You know, right through John's Gospel, Jesus has said, I've come from above, from heaven, sent by the Father. If you don't believe my words, believe the works that I do. And here it is, believe this. When he said this, Jesus called out, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What more does a person need to believe 
than to see a dead man walking from the tomb alive. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. Wouldn't you believe? Wouldn't you bow down and worship him? Many who were there that day believed. Praise God. But some went to the Pharisees to report on what Jesus had done. Really? They didn't go there hoping to convince the Pharisees to believe in Jesus. They were sympathetic to the interests of the Pharisees and the threat that Jesus represented. Jesus had just performed a miracle unheard of in history. Yet the religious leaders only see Jesus as a threat rather than see him as the Lord. Why? They call a hurried meeting of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council, made up of 70 people, sort of like a high court, and we get a clear answer as to why. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. What an extraordinary response. They could and should have seen the many signs Jesus was performing and said, here is the Messiah, sent from the Father, let's follow him. But instead, it's a response of people afraid of losing their power and privilege. And they're not just any people. The religious leaders who should have been the first to recognise the Lord in their midst. And we know their fear is palpable that in the next chapter... When they, are, when they have failed to arrest Jesus, they hatch another plan to kill Lazarus all over again. Amazing, isn't it? In, in chapter 10 of the next chapter. How can, they, how can they stoop so low? It's almost beggar's belief. If it were not such a classic example of the deception of sin, people will find reasons not to believe despite the evidence. The fact that Jesus raised a dead man and then rose himself never to die again, it gets a little traction in the minds of people today if they consider Christ at all. Actually, Jesus hit the nail on the head in a story that he tells in Luke chapter 17 about people's refusal to believe. Look at this. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. But the religious leaders here also represent religion at its worst. Religion that is not just blind to the truth, but opposed to the truth. Religion that has the appearance of godliness, but there is no place for God. It's a, it's a warning. We're told that Satan masquerades, masquerades as an angel of light. People are often attracted to religion, but will not come to Christ. So often those closest to the truth that have the form and shape of Christ are his greatest opponents. Remember, 
It is those who believe in Jesus, not those who are religious, who have eternal life. That is why here we want people to meet Jesus and live. Now, this is seen no clearer than in the words of Caiaphas, the high priest. How close is he, yet how far? Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. When Caiaphas said that, he was simply saying, if we don't put this man to death, then everything we have, our temple and our nation, is at risk. We must stop him. We must kill him before too many follow him. But how close is he to the truth? He did not say this on his own, but has, as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Caiaphas's words ring true in a way he could not see. For this is exactly what God did through the cross. Jesus died for us, for the Jewish nation and for all the scattered children of God, for his church and bring us together as one. We're told that from that day on, they plotted to take his life. But in so doing, they were fulfilling the very plan of God that through the death of Jesus, God will raise up a people for himself, his church scattered across the earth, but one in Christ. Nothing can stop the plan of God. Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin are evil, intent only on preserving their own power and status, willing even to kill the one who has done the very works of God in their midst. But their evil will only serve the greater purpose of the Father, that Jesus would die to bring life. In the next chapters, Jesus enters Jerusalem and willingly goes to the cross. It's a story wrapped up in betrayal, savagery, justice, evil. On a human level, it can look like Jesus has failed. But we have the words of Jesus and the actions that prove their truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus himself will rise from the dead, but not like Lazarus, who grew old and died again. Jesus rose for eternity. The cross and the empty tomb is the victory of God over sin and death. And we share in that victory, for if we believe in him, even though we die, we will live. And if we believe in him, we will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that if we believe in Jesus, even though we die, we will live. And believing in him, we will never die. We thank you for the new life that we have. Through the cross 
and the empty tomb. And we thank you for the evidence we have in the, Laz in the raising of Lazarus, but even more supremely, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Father, we pray that we will leave today more convinced than ever of the wondrous truth of salvation in his name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.